WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. Brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing. Count on a name you can trust. I'm not going to douse anyone's enthusiasm because I'm really interested in seeing Chris Archer pitch, and I endorse the trade of the Pirates getting Chris Archer. Uh, Aside from giving up Austin Meadows, which I didn't want to see them do to get Chris Archer, but I'm in favor of them getting the pitcher. But I'm noticing a disconnect in Pirates Nation here, and I've got to reset these two web polls that I put out before the program. The first of which went like this. Now that Kayla and Archer are pirates, which statement best describes your feelings? A, they have to live up the hype for me to buy back in. B, their results aren't as important as the fact management at least tried. And C, check back with me before 2019 when more salary kicks in. And right now, actually, taking over, and I'm kind of happy about this because I think it makes the most sense, is 42% of you say choice C, check back with me before 2019 when more salary kicks in. Then I get to this. Only 19% of you say choice A, that they have to live up the hype for me to buy back in. Now, here's the second one that I put out there. Because there's obviously a lot of enthusiasm about Chris Archer coming on board. A lot of people are really revved up about it. I know over on the other station they were talking about how uh, this is the most exciting moment for the Pirates since... And eventually it got back to, well, there were 38,000 people there when Morneau got traded for. So I think we revised history a little bit for the sake of propping up enthusiasm. But the second question I asked was, now that the Archer and Kayla trades are complete, what do you think will become of the 2018 Pirates? Only 2% of you say that you think they'll win the division. Only 19% of you say they'll get a wild card. So 79% of you don't think they're going to make the playoffs anyway. So what are we so excited about then? Like, it, it appears to me that we're really excited that management just did something, but we're not necessarily more excited about the Pirates' chances of making the playoffs. And I want to know what you think about that. I want to know what you think about that connection between hope for the Pirates and just being happy that management did what they did. 412-333-9939. You can also text, or tweet rather, at Tim Benz PGH. We talked before the break about the Lev Bell rap lyrics. According to Sean Gentilly of the Post-Gazette, TMZ Sports has jumped on a line about just don't make me pull a shady after the previous line was all these women want my baby. As Sean writes, it doesn't take a rap genius contributor to guess that Bell in that spot could be referencing allegations against LaShawn McCoy, whose ex-girlfriend's lawyer says he orchestrated an attack on her as the AP report in January. Uh, If that is, in fact, the case, as opposed to, like, Slim Shady or something like that, then I think Lev's got some splaining to do. Now, have we gotten an explanation? Have we gotten it? I'm blocked from Lev's Twitter account. Has he explained this at all? Because if that's what he meant, eh, that might be a problem. And we also talked about the helmet rule quite a bit. The helmet rule coming into play last night twice already in the Bears and Ravens game. I think it's the biggest, biggest issue facing the National Football League today. 
I think if you look at all the problems facing the NFL, all the questions facing the National Football League, that if you were to parse the the anthem, the pace of play, uh, gambling, how that might affect them, you know, issues off the field with players like we just talked about, all that pales in comparison to the confusion that it'll take for players to surf through before they know what to do with their helmets. If you're talking about you've got to figure out whether a running back is lowering his head to protect himself or to deliver a blow, we're going to have games that last forever. We're going to have players ejected. We're going to have questions come into play about the veracity of outcomes because people are going to think games are fixed over who stays and who gets booted. To me, this is the single biggest issue facing the NFL. 412-333-9939. Let's go to Rich in Homestead. Rich. You're on 105.9 The X. Hi, how's it going today? Good, Rich. Um, you, you, you know, just a comment about the Pirates. Um, it's going to take a few years of seeing the management make good trades and good deals uh, to, to convince me that they're actually trying to win games again. As I've quit watching over the last four years. I walk into a bar, I see it on, I just ignore it because I know that they're not going to go anywhere. It's going to take a few years of them actually making good trades to prove to me that they want to win the games again. So do you think a lot of people are this excited about Archer coming on board because they believe that he's going to be here for the next th- next two years of that contract? Um, you know, I, I think that, that some people are excited thinking that, but I think the majority of us are, are feeling the same way, that it's going to take a few years for us to actually see that they are trying to win again. Yeah, thanks for the call. Thanks for the call, Rich. I, I think that if you are going to believe that, then next offseason is very important. Because as I outlined before, it's not unprecedented for the Pirates to acquire talent at the deadline when they've been in contention. They've done it. You know, Ludwig and Lee, those guys weren't small names at the trade deadline in 2011. Bird and Morneau were not small names at the trade deadline in 2013. Those guys were important components that other teams wanted. They tried to get David Price. Jay Happ actually, while he wasn't a big name, had a major impact. It's what they do setting up their roster going into the offseason that, in my opinion, tells more of the story. And Corey Dickerson is the guy who falls into that now that they've gotten rid of Meadows in this trade to get Archer here in the first place. Jason calling from the car. Go ahead, Jason. You're on 105.9 The X. Yeah, Tim, uh, you know, with respect to the helmet thing, you know, college football has had the targeting rule for, you know, five or six years now, I think. And there have been a lot of games that are, you know, decided by a defensive player being tossed because it's a really ambiguous rule and it's enforced differently. You know, I hate to see these kinds of rules where it's a judgment call and every officiating crew is going to handle it differently. Uh yeah, people are going to interpret things differently just like they do a catch. People are going to ter- interpret the helmet hit differently just as they have over the years. And the problem is now, as you just said, there's a much bigger price tag attached to the flag. And that is a real issue. I think uh, my mind was wandering there. I apologize as you were talking because I was trying to figure out, wasn't there a, I don't know if it was Roquan Smith or maybe it was an Alabama linebacker, like a really good linebacker in a big game last year got tossed for something like this yeah. early. 
And yeah, and in a bowl game a couple of years ago, uh, Joey Bosa was was tossed from the game. I think on the first series for a pretty questionable hit, and that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. And you know that can clearly sway if if you lose a key defensive player and early in the game, you know, a huge impact on the out. Yeah, and if I remember, was it Chubb? Maybe at NC State, I think he might have gotten tossed too. But yeah, there were there were quite a few impactful moments on the college ranks with that. Mike and Penn Hills, you're on 105.9 The X. Mike, you there? Mike is gone. Let's go to Philip in Whitehall on Archer. Hi, Philip. Hey, Tim. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Hey, I think people will come out in flocks to see Archer and buy in right now because, like you said, they are new. They're former all-stars. They're big names. they got the two best pitches on the market right now. So, yeah, I, I want to go out and see them, too. However, will it turn into the playoffs this year? I don't know. I think you still need to see the pieces they gave up for one, which aren't you know, major pieces now, but I think it may be another half a season. Well, I think Meadows is a major piece this year. If somebody gets hurt, if one of the three outfielders gets hurt the rest of the way, not having him is going to feel like a major loss. And I would also say he would have been a major component next year because he probably would have been a starter at that point. Now, if you're talking about the excitement level being a bridge from this year to next, then I think there's still more to be proven. They have to keep Archer and his price tag the next two years and they've got to do something in left field, whether it's keeping Dickerson on his arbitration tag, signing him to an extended deal, or finding a suitable replacement of a similar level should they let him walk. Like, that, to me, would be the connection. Yep, I'm in the camp of keeping Corey. I like him. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate it. 412-333-9939. When we come back, uh, Neil Solons, he covers the Rays. Tampa's pregame and postgame show. He's next on 105.9 The X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Double M, what's going on? He's a gangster. Yes, I need your advice, super genius. You're an ass, you're an ass, you're an ass. The X at 105.9. Brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. I'm Tim Benzin for Mark Madden today. Tonight, it's Chris Archer's debut as a Pittsburgh Pirate, much anticipated since the trade deadline. Neil Solons covers the Tampa Rays. He's the pre- and post-game host. He joins us right now. Neil, thanks a lot for taking some time to join us. You got it. Thanks for having me on. What are the Pirates getting in Chris Archer as a pitcher, first and foremost? Well, I mean, obviously he has very good stuff. Uh, You know, I I think uh, a guy who's a power pitcher, fastball slider, um, that's predominantly what he'll work with, um, and a guy who for the most part, is going to be an innings eater and has been very durable during the course of his career. I mean, I know he had an abdominal injury, but he's never had um, any significant arm injury that's kept him out of the the rotation for any period of time. So I would say the things that, you know, come to mind for me are durability and also a guy who is a power pitcher. A lot of people are saying once he gets out of the AL East, his numbers will improve. Do you buy that? Well, I think if you look at his careers, his numbers against teams other than the American League East have been much better than those uh, outside the division. And I think part of that is the the level of competition you're facing. I still believe that as good as the NL Central is, um, the best lineups, at least for the most part over the last several years, have been in the American League East. I mean, you take a look at what Boston's doing, what New York's doing. Um, and even when before Baltimore sold off Jonathan Scope and Manny Machado and you know, Toronto had a Josh Donaldson, Troy Tulowitzki, when they were hurt. Um, those are very formidable lineups, and to face those teams five, four, five, six times a year, and then have to do that over multiple years, they get multiple looks. So 
I do think it's going to certainly benefit him at first. Um, and I think that probably that lack of familiarity will probably be a challenge for some of the teams, especially in division, that haven't seen a lot of them. I've heard two things on Archer this year, Neil, and you tell me which one is more true. One theory is he's relying on his slider too much and he should be throwing his fastball more, but I've also heard that his fastball is being hit at a greater rate than what it normally is. So what should the Pirates tell him to do? Well, you know, I think if you look at what Pittsburgh has done with a lot of their pitchers, um, I think probably the biggest thing is... Uh, that I saw was he throws, he hasn't thrown his fastball in as much. And I think if you look at what the Pirates do, they get a lot of fastball usage, but they also work in. Um, and I think, you know, Chris probably worked away a little bit more frequently this year than he had maybe in the, in the past. Um, and I think because of that, maybe he started relying on his slider a little bit more. Um, and that slider was used probably so much more frequently that it became, um, you know, hit a little bit more too. I think if he uses his fastball inside more, it probably will open up the slider away. Now, that's easier said than done, but, you know, I have no race from his time in the Rays organization. I know he's a very good pitching coach, and I certainly think he's capable, Chris is, of making the adjustment. And, look, even if you have a scouting report, if you haven't seen something in person very often, it's not like uh, Mookie Betts or Xander Bogarts or guys like that who've seen him so frequently. The guys in, in the National League Central, and for that part – for the most part, the National League in general will not have seen his stuff that many times and have gotten as much of a feel for it. A lot of people in Pittsburgh have wondered, as it relates to Archer and where he is in his career, why would a team that's trying to rebuild give away a pitcher who had been an all-star that still has two more years on his contract that is, frankly, pretty friendly for an alleged top-of-the-rotation guy? So you tell me, why were they willing to do that? Well, I think there are probably a couple of reasons. I think the return is the big reason. Um, I think, you know, look, Pittsburgh has it for, uh, I think beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I think in the Rays case, the Rays felt that, you know, they don't have the set outfield that Pittsburgh does right now with Polanco and Marte. And obviously, you know, they made a decision on Corey Dickerson um, that, that actually put Austin Meadows really in the position he's in. And I think the Rays believe that he'll be a good fit for them, the same reason they believe that Tyler Glass now, even though he had struggled in Pittsburgh, that they believe that, you know, he has that supreme stuff that can work in this division. And I think what the Rays are trying to do, um, they're in, you know, because of the division they're in, because they face the Yankees and the Red Sox, they feel they need a wave of talent. Um, and they're trying to get as many pieces that they think are as close to Major League ready as possible. And I think the possibility of getting two current pieces, and then one future piece that will help them over the long haul. I think probably for them, they weren't looking to trade Chris, but I think in their eyes, the return was too good to pass up, so to speak. You said a lot there, Neil, a lot of which I want to get to. So let's tackle this piece by piece. Again, Neil Solons is joining us. He covered Chris Archer and does cover the Tampa Rays. He's their pre- and post-game host. So the first thing I want to get to is you mentioned Ray Searage, and Ray has a well-earned reputation of being very good when it comes to the Pirates acquiring pitchers, figuring out what's wrong with them, and getting them better once they come here. Uh, at times, though, there have been prospect pitchers that haven't gotten as much out of their stuff as people have hoped that they would. Like, Garrett Cole became a lot better when he went to Houston. Uh, maybe Jamison Tyon isn't where he should be just yet. And, of course, we look at Tyler Glass now and say, whatever happened there, he should be better than what he ended up being. 
What do the Rays think that they can find in Glasnow that the Pirates and Ray Searage weren't able to ever figure out? I don't know it's necessarily something that you find, but sometimes a different environment really helps the pitcher. Um, you know, if, if you look at it, I think two-thirds of the players in Major League Baseball, I, I think it's close to this number, actually broke into the big leagues with a team other than the team they were drafted or signed originally by. And look, Chris, before he was able to figure it out, had at the big league level, had gone through two trades. He was traded from Cleveland to the Cubs and then the Cubs to the Rays. Um, so sometimes that's just the way that baseball is, that hearing a fresh voice and hearing it from different people, and sometimes maybe an organization may just sour on an individual. I'm not saying that Pittsburgh did, but I think the Rays look at the stuff that Tyler has um, and believe that you know they can hopefully get him on track. Now, there are certainly things that he has to work on, but I think the raw tools that he has, I mean, he has elite stuff. I remember a conversation I had with uh, Jake Bowers, who is a talented young first baseman for the Rays. And I asked Jake what he thought of Tyler right after the trade, and he said to me, Tyler has the best stuff I faced. I said, when you were in the minors? No. He said, of any guy I faced, and he already had faced Chris Sale. Huh. So I, I think that speaks to his talents and abilities. Now, how you get those out of them you know, it's something that's a process and over time. I mean, remember that Tyler has moved back and forth between the rotation and the bullpen um, and had been up and down. Um, I think in the race case, they're going to put him out as a starter, stretch him out, and see what he does. And um, Well, you know, hold on for a second there, Neil. What is stretching him out with the way that Rays approach their pitching? Is he going to be like a three-inning starter, or what's their view of him? I think they believe that ideal world, he can actually be a starter like a Blake Snell. Okay. Um, you know, they're going to give him that chance, but it's going to take time because he hasn't pitched more than, what, 57 pitches in a game. So he threw three innings and 48 pitches his first time out. I would imagine before the end of the season, the hope is, is that he's pitching six and seven innings in games. Um, and look, if, he, if it doesn't work out that way, their unique philosophy of putting an opener in front of a pitcher or shortening guys to four or five innings at a time and maybe going twice through the order, that's a possibility. But I think ideal world, um, I think they'd love to see him become a top-of-the-rotation starter. I don't think you would acquire a guy with his stuff without having at least those aspirations. Neil Solon's with us, Tampa Rays pre- and post-game host. Two more things, Neil, the first of which is Austin Meadows. We haven't talked about him yet. Uh, he was alleged to be the must-have in this if there was going to be a deal. I wanted the Pirates to get Archer. I didn't want them to give up Meadows to do it. Is he going to be called up already? Because I saw Tommy Pham, who was recently acquired from the Cardinals, is hurt already. Is that true? Yeah, Tommy went on the DL. He got, believe it or not, his first excuse me, two games with the race, he got hit by pitchers. First in the sternum, and then his second game, he got hit on the foot. They found a hairline fracture in the foot this morning. Um, he'll be out two to four weeks, depending on how quickly he heals. So they don't think that's going to affect how quickly they bring Austin Meadows up. Um, I think the goal is to play Austin every day um, for Durham, get him hot, and then bring him up. Um, and I and I think the the problem is that the last three days, believe it or not, the AAA affiliate Durham has been rained out. So he has yet to play a game there. But I don't think that's going to affect his timeline. I also don't think he's going to be down that long. I would think sometime here in the month of August we'll see him come up. Any idea yet who the third guy is, and was it going to be Jung-Ho Gung before he had surgery? I don't think it was going to be him. I honestly would think, and I don't want to speculate on names, um, but I would think it's going to be, I mean, the Pirates have already said that it's a guy who's familiar to Pirates fans. 
Um, I would think it would be my guess, based on the way the Rays work a lot of their deals, it would be a lower-level prospect, but someone who has a high ceiling. Um, you know, if you look at some of the deals they've done, whether it was David Price and they got a Willie Adamas, whether it's uh, Will Myers where they got a Jake Bowers who turned out who turned out down the line, I would think it would be someone who probably is at a, a lower level but also has a high ceiling. Uh, and it may be a, a slew of players they have a choice of over the next month, and that's probably the reason why it's a player to be named, that they have to decide who that player is. They may evaluate until the end of the minor league season, and that's probably when you'll hear the, the name of that player come out. Oh, and, Neil, one last thing. I should have asked you this earlier. Corey, Dick, Corey Dickerson, what would you do if you were the Pirates? Would you sign him long-term, keep him through the arbitration year? Have they seen the best that they're going to see out of Corey Dickerson already? I don't know. I mean, Corey's a really driven guy. You know, the first year with the Rays, he struggled, and a lot of that was because he was hurt um, through much of his season with the Rockies and didn't get a full healthy year off-season-wise. He's a guy who's tremendously motivated, and I think sometimes, um, you know, I think he was probably motivated by the year he had his first year with the Rays in his second year, and I think probably this year he was motivated by the fact that he was traded again. Um, But I also think he's also a very skilled hitter. I remember a conversation I had with Dante Bichette, um, who did some spring training games with me. And Dante was a hitting coach in Colorado, and he said, I think that guy is capable of winning a batting title. Um, And I don't think that's out of the question still. I mean, he has great bat-to-ball skills, and he's a tremendous worker. Um, You know, he's a tremendous family guy, um, and he's probably a good fit in Pittsburgh. You know, in similar fashion, I think Chris is a great community guy and did tremendous work here, and I'm sure in a city that, you know, is very blue-collar, I think he's going to do great work in the Pittsburgh community too. Thanks a lot, Neil. Glad you came on. We appreciate the insight on Chris Archer, and we'll talk to you again soon, I hope. You got it, Tim. Thanks for having me on. All right, that is Neil Solons, the Tampa Rays pre- and post-game host. Once again, it's Chris Archer Day here in Pittsburgh. The newly acquired Pittsburgh Pirate pitcher makes his debut at PNC Park tonight against the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Again, I'll ask the question of Pirates fans. There's a little bit of a disconnect here based on what we're seeing in our web poll results. Everybody is so excited about Archer making his debut But last time I checked, 80% of you don't think they're going to make the playoffs still anyway. So is this all about next year, or are you just happy that management tried? Do you not care about the actual results? 412-333-9939. We'll talk about that when we come back, and a little bit more on the helmet rule fallout from last night and how the Steelers are reacting out in Latrobe. That's coming up next. Tim Benz in for Mark Madden. Now the super genius, Mark Madden. Finishing his checks, causing a constant commotion. Hey, Mr. Madden, how you doing? Sometimes I'm so damn dumb, I wouldn't take a phone call from me. DX at 105.9. Nothing makes me happier than coming on the Mark Madden show and being able to talk about rap for four hours, or three hours, as it relates to football. But, all right, I need some help on this one. So the entire internet thinks that Le'Veon Bell took a swipe at Shady McCoy in his latest song is it called tabled the table the table okay by the way we are brought to you by chapina restaurant and cigar bar the city's best seafood and chop house located in the strip district because he's got these lines in here we're not able to play around if you play around get exposed i got homies there to take you out if certain information gets disclosed all these women want my baby just please don't make me pull a shady and the conventional thinking from people in the Post-Gazette, TMZ Sports, Sporting News, that this is a swipe at Shady McCoy and his situation where he is alleged to have hired somebody to beat up his girlfriend and put her in the hospital. 
Now, I have had tweeted to me on a number of occasions that it's not that. It's about Slim Shady, like Eminem, the persona. The Eminem persona Slim Shady. This is where I very easily and willingly plead ignorance. Tell me what the reference is from the Slim Shady persona where he hired somebody to beat someone up, especially a woman. And I won't mention it again. I Honestly, I, I don't know what it is. So tell me, and I will tell the internet on your behalf that this has nothing to do with Shady McCoy, and we can move on. 412-333-9939. Is there a song? Is there a lyric? Is there an example? Is there a real-life thing that I don't know about? Because it's not just me. Everybody else in, out there is saying this has to do with Shady McCoy and not Eminem. Now, the other rap-related item, as it ties into the NFL, is apparently on EA Sports, there was um, there's a song that they've got as background music or something, and Colin Kaepernick's name was edited out by EA Sports. And Twitter went into a frenzy. Oh my God, how could you do that? How could you change the music just to get Colin Kaepernick's name out of this? This is, a, this is an agenda. This is horrible what you've done. Well, what they were doing was trying to not get sued. So in an effort to not get sued and get themselves in trouble, they got themselves in trouble. So it's like, what's worse? Thinking you're going to get sued by Colin Kaepernick because you can't use his name in the song or thinking that you're going to be attacked by the PC police on Twitter. Now, they've already apologized, apparently. And to be fair, I guess they've left names in there that they probably should have taken out for similar reasons if that's their true explanation. But the Colin Kaepernick cops out there, oh, how did this guy turn into such a friggin' martyr? Seriously. How did he turn into such a martyr over this? I'm sorry, that's part of the reason I can't get behind the whole kneeling thing for the players as much as everybody wants me to. I can't back pig socks guy on this and I'm not going to make him into a martyr 412-333-9939 on that as well now if the NFL on the topic of them getting sued is really concerned about the future of the concussion issue and whether or not they're opening themselves up for future legal exposure then they're going to have a crisis on their hands at the end of the season because, and this has gotten a lot of attention, a lot of response. We've taken a lot of phone calls on it today, and I think I still got time to take a few more if you want to get in. But we've had a lot of people give us feedback already after one preseason game on the helmet rule, and that's probably wise because you better be ready for major controversy a lot of the time. We have had two penalties already as it relates to helmet hits from that Bears Ravens game last night. And you're going to see dozens and dozens more, and it's going to happen on a much grander stage. By the way, Lamar Jackson, interception, three sacks, threw for a touchdown at a couple nice runs, mixed bag debut for him. He is exciting to watch, but he's not as close to the, I don't know, uh, finished pro- project or uh, polished project that people were anticipating, it seemed like, when all the buzz was happening about him in minicamp to the point that they're going to push Joe Flacco out. But that's sort of an argument for another day. Maybe we'll get into that more on Monday. But uh, let me give you some quotes here from uh, Art Rooney II in the Post-Gazette on the whole helmet thing. Uh, Art Rooney says, There's no denying it's going to be an adjustment for everybody. Players, coaches, officials. I think there will be a feeling out period here. 
I would guess penalties are going to go up in the preseason, maybe early in the season when people are going to adjust to this. I hope we get to a point like we have with other rules. Players adjust, coaches adjust. The bottom line is, when they started in this discussion in the spring, they put video out there of hits that should not be in the game. There shouldn't be an enormous amount of plays, but there is no question there are plays we don't need to have in the game. And, uh, okay, like I, I hope that's the case. Like I hope Art is right here. But when I gave you the quotes before from the Trib story that Joe Rudder wrote, where the referees were saying that you can't lower your head to initiate contact, but you can lower your head to brace yourself for contact, how is an official going to be able to determine that with any sort of efficiency, consistency, and accuracy? How do they do that? Like, if a quarterback is lowering his head to plow forward on a QB sneak, I, I know we've never seen one in Pittsburgh, but there's a rumor out there that there's this play called the QB sneak. I've heard Brady's done it, where he puts his head forward and he just kind of plows forward for a yard. Like, how are you not initiating the contact there? And if we're going to be so fine-line about how we're interpreting rules as they were with Jesse James with the catch rule a year ago then how is that not exactly initiating contact? How is that protecting yourself? You're protecting yourself, but you're protecting yourself from a play where you're putting your helmet out there. It's a self-defeating prophecy. So my theory is this. The helmet rule is going to be as bad this year as the catch rule was last year, and then it's going to be better in 2019. We are going to go through a year of absolute pain with the helmet rule, like we did with the catch rule, and they're going to be forced to take language like that out and, in essence, default back to, I'll know it when I see it. They're going to be forced to do something that I think they should have done a long time ago, which is put in intent or put in, um, uh, like, intent to injure. So, some sort of phrase that's about intending to injure. Or launching, or, or something. I know that's kind of in there already, but they've tried to dull that down because they want to make it look like they're they're pandering so much to we're trying to take concussions out of the game. We don't care if you're intending to do it or not. We're holding you responsible. But there has to be some sort of return to we're protecting the safety of the players from players going out of their way, as Rooney is talking about in this Post Gazette story. I, I think this is the single biggest issue facing the National Football League right now. The single biggest problem, not length of game, not gambling on games, not the catch rule anymore, the looming CBA, suspensions, uh, domestic violence off the field, the anthem, forget it. None of that to me is as big of a deal as knowing what is or isn't a legal hit and a legal tackle. It's the most basic form of what's going on in football right now. It's the most fundamental thing about football. It happens on every play, and we don't know what one is. 412-333-9939. Let's go to Billy in Carrick. Billy, you're on 105.9 The X. Hey, Tim. Long time to talk. Um, it's sarcastic ball right around the corner, and if so, would Randy Marsh uh, replace Roger Goodell as commissioner? Sargastic ball is around the corner, but you have to sarcastically talk about whatever is or is not a blow to the head. And whenever you talk about what is a blow to the head, you have to go the other way and be sarcastic about your interpretation as to why you're picking up the flag instead of throwing the guy out. Touche. Exactly. exactly. Honestly, that's a good way to go. 
Like, you could take this and flip it entirely on its ear. You could... (laughs) Whatever you say is an illegal hit, you could sarcastically announce it over the loudspeaker and make it an illegal hit and throw the guy out of the game. That's the way to go. Oh, what happened to the Slim Shady guy? We lost him. Do we actually have somebody who knew what was what the reference was? I haven't checked Twitter yet. But we actually had somebody, and they hung up. I want to know. Look, I would love to let Lev Bell off the hook on this, but I just haven't had it tweeted to me. I haven't had it sent to me. I don't know what it could be. I don't know what the reference is to Eminem that's as clear as what he's talking about with Shady McCoy. Because if you're Le'Veon Bell, wouldn't you want to distance yourself from it? In fact, he's retweeting people who are applauding his song. He's retweeting people who are applauding that lyric. If it's on 15 different websites saying that it's a connection to Shady McCoy and you don't want that, then he should get out in front of it and say, no, it's about Eminem. And again, please, God, let me know what it is because I don't particularly want to be wrong about this. Let's go to Evan in Mount Lebanon. Hi, Evan. Hey, hey Tim. Um, I listen every day, but maybe I miss this. One of my friends said this. Is it true that uh, Joe Musgrove basically told the other Pirates pitchers to stop pitching the contact, like to go against that searage methodology? Uh, I haven't heard that. Tell me where you heard that. Well, I, just one of my buddies mentioned it, and they said that he, that he thought that he heard it on that, and I, I listen every day, and I didn't hear that either. I was just double-checking. I, I haven't heard it. It doesn't mean it's not true. That would be sort of in um, Musgrove's mode as kind of a cowboy, if you will, but it's also pretty bold for a brand-new guy to say, hey, this organization that I've been at for 15 minutes, let's flush everything we do. However, right. I will say this. Since he's coming from the Astros, which turned things around from what Garrett Cole did here to what he's doing now there – that would make logical sense, right? Yeah. So I don't know if he's gone so far as to do that, but if he's doing it himself and it's working, fine. So be it. Right. James in the South Hills, you're on 105.9 The X. Hi, James. Go ahead. How you doing today? Good. So this this whole uh, this whole helmet rule, I've always thought is interesting that people in Pittsburgh don't understand, particularly given the the, the uh, interesting connection with the, the happenings last year. Now, years ago, the NFL started an initiative that they referred to as heads-up football, where they began to teach students from the very bottom up, Pop Warner up, that when making a hit, they needed to do so with their head up. And this was not just to avoid concussions, but also to avoid severe spinal injuries and arguably um, – Shazier never would have gotten the horrific, terrible injury, the regrettable injury that he did had he held his own head up. Yeah, I'm watching it again right now. He does lower his head. And I know there was a caller earlier, and uh, sorry, it sounds like we got a bad line here, James, but there was a caller earlier that suggested that Shazier tried to get his head up. He didn't. I mean, his head went down. I'm looking at it again right now. Um, And Rudy did reference that. And Rooney referenced in his quotes, the Post-Gazette, it's more about guys using their helmet as a weapon. Uh, To your point, the extra extent that they have gone to infers otherwise, that they're trying to make it more about good tackling. My biggest concern, and I've always said this, is the next guy who to unfortunately die on a football field is not going to be a wide receiver who's hit in the open field. It's going to be a defender who's spooked about getting a helmet-to-helmet penalty and lowers his helmet to avoid a penalty and puts himself at risk for a broken neck. Let's go to James in Bluefield. James, you're on 105.9 The X. Hey, how's it going? Good, James. Um, 
So I was thinking the helmet to helmet rule. Would it be better if there was a qualifier that if the helmet, if the contact occurred low waist level, that wasn't a penalty? Wait, say that again. I'm sorry. So would it make more sense if there was a qualifier that if the helmet to helmet contact occurred below waist level, like both people had their heads down? Such as a quarterback dive or that? Uh, yeah. So you're saying like if the quarterback were to lower his head below the opponent's waist? Yeah. And, and on a QB sneak or like a running back in the open field were to lower his head beyond the waist of a linebacker? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Basically, the guy's going down, protecting himself, and there's contact there. It's not a penalty. He wasn't trying to use it as a weapon. Yeah, but then you're adding another layer. You're adding another layer of confusion in the language there because the refs are looking for the act of lowering it, not the point of impact after they've lowered it. They're looking to get rid of the act. So I think that makes it all the more confusing. Thanks for the call. I I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. Should we go to one more here, Bob? Or Yeah, okay, let's go to uh, Kenny on the road. Kenny, go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. How you doing? Good, Kenny. I was just wondering about pitching the contact. What is actually the definition of that? Pitching to contact means the ball? yeah. Pitching to contact means you're not trying to strike everybody out. You know that you don't want. You're going for movement within the zone to try to get people to induce a swing and a ball that you're not necessarily trying to blow by them, but you're trying to get weak contact, like a pop up the other way or a ground ball to somebody at second base or something like that. Yeah, I mean, like pitching to contact is basically like throwing it, let them hit it. Well, yeah, it is. I'm glad we summed up the show on that. You know, the th- you know, there's a big difference between go out there and strike everybody out or have good movement on your slider or your curveball or your sinker. There's been a lot of good sinkers that have gotten a lot of pitchers to all-star games because they've gotten a lot of ground balls. I think that's kind of the point. So let me get this straight. Pitching to contact means you want to hit the baseball. You want them to hit the baseball. Good. Now we've ironed that out. Oh, by the way, over under on Ray Lewis and his 25 minutes... If you missed it, Ray Lewis said he wants to have his speech somewhere between 22 and 25 minutes, even though you're only supposed to have 15. I'm going to the sperm bank right now so I can get more money to bet on the over. 105.9 The X.